millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hello, Dublin. I said, hello, Dublin. And welcome to the historic Liberty Hall Theater for the gang's all here. Yep, this is U.S. Murph here recording this message live from my hotel room in the Clarence Hotel, don't you know? By the way, this beautiful bed is the only thing that could possibly equal my Aer Lingus flight seat for comfort. That's a fact. But you know something? I am a little warm, probably down to the perfect stitching in my new original Penguin clothing sweatshirt. Yep, that's what I said. Anyway, I digress. I'll put my copy of the weekend edition of the Irish Times down right here, and I'll see you guys in just a couple of minutes. And right now, the second captains will do what all the best performers do at the start of their live shows, attempt to make you cry. And we are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? Well, we'll give them a sound. Come on, let's give them a preview. We, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. Right, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll try now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're going to swing as one. How you like that? <laughs> I'll see you guys later. All right, Sam. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Cass. You're welcome. All right. That's the color of my room where I will live. Killian shoots. He's hooked it away to the left and wide. It's just not meant to be for male. Nothing to read, nothing to say. I understand how difficult it is, Keith. They're known for being cheats. They'll always be cheats. How much of boxing stinks from the core right there on top. Sit right down. I'm waiting for the gift of sound. 20 years we've been waiting for this, and at last we've got that living medal. I will see. Waiting for the gift of sound and vision. Patrick Hickey, the president of Ireland's Olympic Committee, has been arrested. They're all pumped They're all just headphones. my head. Don't you wonder sometimes about sound and vision? It's the Brown, it's New Jersey. They're all rolled into one. Another 
Thank you. Hello. Thanks very much for the warm welcome, folks. And everybody can now stop pretending that they're not crying after that video, by the way. Let it all out. Okay. Let all, that's on. what we're here for tonight, because let's be honest, 2016 was a bit of a shite year, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say. But, uh, you know, we can probably end it in a little bit of style tonight. And by uh, welcoming you to our 750th recording of the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, McDevitt here with Murph. Hello there, everyone. And Ken. Hi, how are you? Everybody enjoying their annuals, by the way? Yeah? Come on, a bit more. Everyone enjoying their annuals, by the way? Thank you. Now, you know, before we came on stage here, I was just re-watching an episode of Planet Earth 2 from last oh, week. Oh, God, no. The one on the deserts, Ken. Bloody great episode, Very good that episode. one. Yeah, really good, yeah. They were in the arid lands of southwest Madagascar, charting the relentless march of a plague of locusts. Yeah, yeah. If you saw that one. And much like our listeners here in front of us at the Liberty Hall Theatre in Dublin, the locust is usually a solitary creature, Ken. But when food suddenly becomes plentiful, they band together into an unstoppable and frankly terrifying force. The food, in this analogy, is the uh, much sought-after ticket for uh, okay, lo- appearance locust here tonight. Okay, fans, food, ticket... Okay, this isn't strange at all, though. You don't need me to tell you that... Nothing can destroy the land with such speed and thoroughness as a plague of locusts can, much like you lot destroying the dreams of all our other listeners who are unable to get in here tonight because of your insatiable appetite for live entertainment. Actually, I think that guy over there is transforming into a winged adult as we speak. Just yeah, you should probably get the that back. checked out. Uh, funny you mentioned Planet Earth 2 on, because uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but my favourite creature of all of God's creations is, of course, the penguin. Uh, now, you don't get any cooler than a penguin on. That's what I say, living as they do in the harshest climate known to man, woman, or based. Uh, how do you come close to replicating that level of cool on? That's my question. Why? Through Penguin Original Clothing, the coolest thing outside either the Arctic or indeed Antarctic Circle. We're in a very historical part of Dublin here, Ken, the Liberty Hall Theatre. Yes, a uh, hundred years ago where we were all sitting was nothing more than a smoking crater. And the, the guilty... It's a nice uh, image, isn't it? The guilty parties on that occasion, as in so many others, were, of course, the English. Uh, this uh, Liberty Hall was known as a hive of uh, Republican Socialist Rebellion. So when the Rising started, uh, Britannia's Huns with the Long Range Guns is the song as it set up. <laughs> and actually parked literally just outside, and this was the first building they leveled. But, you know, we proudly rebuilt it, then declared it unsafe, had to demolish it. We got it right seven or, seven or eight times around. I, sh- I think I should also bring everyone's attention to our sign here because you'll be happy to hear or happy to see indeed that they never go home, those bobs. Uh, bobs. We were missing a few letters this afternoon. We, it was a um, late scramble. The Y actually fell down the elevator shaft. So if uh, <laughs> anyone does happen to see that, they might return it to a second captain's member post-haste. The gang's all here this evening. Tyke Furlong, Richie Sadler, Andy Lee, David O'Darty, Sinead O'Carroll, Jonathan Wilson, Ushin McConville, and US Murph is here, everybody! Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. We also promised you that we would stage a live performance of one of your regular favourite podcast slots, and we asked you to choose which one you wanted to see. The options were Ken's Ghouls, <laughs> Owen's Poems, yeah. Thank you, the two people down the back. Or the fair view. <laughs> now, almost 1,800 votes were cast, and the results are in. They're completely rigged, but they're in. Owens Poems is a victim of the arcane voting structure, endemic in Twitter polls. They're finished in third place at 11%. Ken's Ghouls in second place with 34%. 
but no doubt about the winner. The Fairview amassed 55% of the votes, so that's where you get a little bit later on. An on-stage performance by very special guests of the Fairview. But it is a celebratory night, I think, Ken, so it's only fair to give the 34% of people what they want. It's Ken's Ghouls. Ghouls. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, Ken's Ghouls. That was, it wasn't bad, was it? The early kickoff on Saturday was a top of the table clash. Blue on blue. City against Chelsea. Peps Pups against Conte's team. Just before halftime, Gary Cahill, bewitched by the subtle machinations of Jesus Navas, launched himself at a cross in a flail of twisting legs and bulging triceps, bamboozing Courtois burying the ball in his own net. But then Diego Costa got the better of Otamendi, broke free, and fired a shot into the middle of the net past the stationary Bravo. Then Diego Costa got the better of Otamendi and passed to William, who broke free, and fired a shot into the middle of the net past the stationary Bravo. Pride pricked. City pressed the pensioners, hoping to hear the pips squeak, but Pep's peewees promptly plunged pitifully back into the poop. Inmazard broke free and fired a shot into the middle of the net past the stationary Bravo. For Antonio Conte, joy unbridled. For Pep, it is have to ponder what could possibly be the problem with this team. Ah, uh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, so that's real. I was not I thought there's, there's no need to do one of those 22-minute ones. No, sorry, I meant the quality was good. I just wasn't sure if you were finished. Right, Puffs and Conte's team. Yeah, I love it. The highlight for me. We'll there. be talking to Richie and Jonathan Wilson about a very vicious weekend in the Premier League a little bit later on. Shocking, really shocking. Yeah, it's, it's a disgrace. I mean, great to see, but nobody wants to see it. Yeah. If you have anything to say about any of that, tweet at Second Captains with the hashtag SCGang. We'll try to get to some of those through the evening. Are you just about ready for everybody's favourite American? Yeah. Let's get him out here. The get out of Dodge because Donald Trump is president-elect trip. It's on, baby. The only thing I need right now is the comfort of lifelong compadres. I need my boys the second I need my boys the second It's U.S. Burp, everybody! Brian Murphy, quite an entrance. How are you? Woo, winded. I just took down the Soviet Union. (laughs) You're buzzing pretty hard there, Brian. That was our enemy like 40 years ago. It's all right. Now we're best buds, right? (laughs) Great to see everybody. I am truly amazed that this, uh, at the love. So uh, thanks for coming. And uh, where's the beer? There's plenty backstage, Brian. We just wanted to keep you, keep you sharp to answer the one question on everybody's lips. I mean, we've flown you 5,000 miles over here to answer this. What is your favorite part of the second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2? True story? Do I tell the true story or the dolled-up story, right? Uh, well, whatever you feel like, Brian. The true story is I'm still jet-lagged, everybody. You're talking to a guy strict, who's still on California time. So last night in the Clarence Hotel, well, don't you know? What a bloody great hotel. Unbelievable location. And so it begins. I uh, picked up the annual, and no joke, I freaking loved it. It was fantastic. No present, I know, kissing your butt straight away. My copy was free, all right? 
I'm going to say the Euro Journal of Ken Early yeah, was on, my favorite. Po- Where's the applause? It's a good the choice. Euro Journal. Come on. Man. I'd say that probably is the best bit. I felt like I was with the you man. Agree, you France. agree with Brian there? Okay, that's good, Ken. Thanks. Humble too. Very close second was the Michael Conlon interview done by Owen oh, McDevitt. Wow. So, Brian, Kieran Murphy here has been essentially acting as your tour guide for the last few days. How's he done? The man is uh, outstanding, and as soon as you guys, you know, they said 750 podcasts up there, right? Given that it's kind of iffy if you guys get to 800, right? <laughs> the man has a fallback plan as a walking history tour leader. Oh, please. True story, everybody. This is how touching this man is. I know this, I wish this was a funnier story. This is actually kind of a touching story. <laughs> supposed to be telling jokes up here, but uh, uh, my father's name was Robert Emmett. Typical American thing where you, you know, over-romanticize the Irish rebel. Robert Emmett Murphy, this man took that fact and said he created his own Robert Emmett history tour, a walking tour through the liberties. He Listen, studied, I, he I, delivered. I don't want any applauds for Brian. Well, please. Come on, it's just... And guys, did you guys weep at the opening film, right? You would have wept when this man recited the speech from the dock. Ah. I can't believe you actually did that. Do you, like, read the whole speech? Well, well I, I tried to memorize it and failed. And then I pulled a piece of paper out. And, well, I did, I mean, the, the entire speech is like an hour bit, and a half right? long. Let no man write his epitaph for his other <laughs> What other I didn't bits. know is that the actual speech from the dock ends with the phrase, right, let's go get pints at the Lord Edward. <laughs> So I thought, boy, Emmett was... Emmett was no, I, I, I think I may have ad-libbed that last bit, actually. You've been back to a few of your old haunts, actually, over the last few days, haven't you? Uh, say that again, I'm sorry? You've been back to a few of your old haunts. I did, my friends. And uh, so listen, uh, Dublin, God bless you. It looks beautiful. The fair city is as fair as ever. The, the skies are a little gray and low for this California boy, all right? So uh, I'm kind of wondering where the sun went. Did see it Thursday briefly, but walking around... Feeling the crack, Temple Bar at Christmas time, Grafton Street at Christmas time. But all of a sudden, I start hearing from on Twitter and other people saying, uh, Have you tried the craft beer? Have you tried the craft beer? What the F is the craft beer movement in Ireland right now? To me, the craft beer movement is a pint of frickin' Guinness at the hut in Fibsborough, all right? So that was my craft beer walking tour. And I told somebody about Robert Emmett, too, along the way. So. Back to O'Donoghue's as well. Where Back you, where to you, O'Donoghue's. Where you worked many years at the O'Donoghue's on Marion Row. A very touching gesture by you uh, to start the pub crawl at O'Donoghue's, where the, uh, my career was launched, where I was abused verbally. Uh, I want to say racially abused. <laughs> called a dumb American by many, many Dublin bartenders because I couldn't understand their frickin' north side accents. Oh, my God. But uh, you guys said, let's start the tour there, and I will praise O'Donoghue's to the molecule. It is unchanged. The pint is still outstanding. Uh, it felt it was a phenomenal way to start. So we go O'Donoghue's, Arrow, Shelburne, Arrow. What was all the tuxedos, too, at the Shelburne? What's going uh, on? Well, it I is the Shelburne know. Hotel. It's slightly more upmarket than the rest of the places. Arrow, Kehoe's, right? Upstairs at Kehoe's. Kehoe's, everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Lost in translation, right? (laughs) Uh, Arrow Grogan's, right? Grogan's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arrow the Long Hall, and as the man who brought me in, you said Bruce Springsteen's there too all the time. It was a touching collection of Dublin's smelliest pubs, so uh, (laughs) that was was a key determining factor. Has the city changed a lot? It was 1992 when you spent a, a year or so of your life living here? Well, without getting too serious, I mean, yes, dramatically, the, uh, the multi-ethnicity is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. 
for me, uh, back in the old days, like a, a multi-ethnic person was somebody who's, uh, who's had parents from Claire and Limerick. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, and now, phenomenal. You guys look like the United States of America now, honest to goodness, with the amount of ethnicities and religions and languages I'm hearing. So that was truly a mind-blowing experience and, uh, and really startling to see and, and wonderful to see as long as you guys stay in harmony and peace and respect all cultures and languages. No, what, Irexit, Irexit, would you guys have or something like that? I don't know. But uh, so that was the number one thing, uh, overwhelming. Uh, again, the craft beer movement, which upset me, all right? That, that was the number two thing. But everything else looks wonderful. The bones of this city remain the same as they have for a thousand years. Beautiful, the Liffey is graceful, the people are wonderful, and the, uh, and the crack is mighty. Did your boys come in to meet you in the end? Brian has a friend from Mullingar who he lived with, you know, 25 years ago. Brian travels 5,000 miles over. I don't know if you heard our preview podcast. We had a quick chat on Friday. And this friend from Mullingar was very cagey for quite a few days about whether he was going to bother his arse coming all the way into Dublin <laughs> to meet his great pal, Brian. Did you get him he in? He tried to convince you to go to Mullingar. <laughs> Wild horses couldn't bring me to Mullingar, so... No offense to any Mullingar Do we have the Mullingar listeners? people here in the crowd tonight? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, isn't that great? I mean, you can go around the world, any culture, language, continent, hemisphere, and you have the, the age-old thing of the buddy who's like, no, you come to my house, don't, I won't come to yours, even though I've traveled 6,000 miles to do so. so. But shout out to the good man, Declan Fry, principal of a school out there in Mullingar. He did wind up bringing his beautiful wife, Ashling, and their three children, Emma, John, and uh, Michael, to Dublin. Uh, the only problem was... Was that, and so we know that Declan is a little bit high maintenance, you know, so he had come kind of against his will, right? But what had happened was I didn't think he was going to come. So around 1 o'clock, I shoved off for my walk up to Fibsboro, right? And I have no cell phone. My cell phone doesn't work over here. So I am unreachable, okay? So I'm walking. I take a few wrong turns, by the way, up there. And I'm in Lewis Hell up there, too, by the way. I'm getting pinched up against walls and pylons up in my knees. And I, oh, watch out, the Lewis is coming. The pavement everywhere, all that stuff's going on. So I, uh, so I eventually, I go on a three-hour journey to find the hut. I got lost. And turns out Declan had arrived right after I set off and had been, had been madly calling the Clarence looking for me. So just stewing the whole while. So... Uh, All's well that ends well. And shout out to my man, Brian Kalu, who drove up from Tulla, Tulla County Clare. Where are my East Clare people? Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) They must have stopped in the hood along the way, Brian. (laughs) I guess Brian was the only one who came, right? (laughs) So tell us, as Donald Trump's number one fan, what have you made of his performance so far as president-elect of your fine country? You guys are hitting me with all the serious questions. The multi-ethnicity of Dublin, Trump's first two weeks. Did anybody see the last night's Saturday Night Live? I thought it was brilliant. I really did. I, I, I heard it was highly overrated. <laughs> and sad. Did I you hear it was sad? sad? Yeah, that's what did, I heard. Was there an exclamation point in that, just, too? just tried watching Saturday Night Live. Unwatchable, totally biased, not funny, and the Baldwin impersonation just can't get any worse. Sad. <laughs> Was Donald Trump's tweet? You know, you guys have what? The long view and Owen's poems. You might have to do Owen reading Trump's tweets now. You know what I mean? That might be the new feature. Nobody will vote for it. Uh, I'm actually. (laughs) It might get 12%, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm always amazed when I leave America and see it through your guys' eyes um, without, you know, it's just, it's a different experience. It's it's an an eye opening experience, it's a good experience to see it through your guys' eyes. Um, how's it going? It's going as expected, unpredictable, erratic, 
not normal, freaky, weird, being justified by a few too many people, including your man, some guy in the Times today. Who's your man, Niall Ferguson? I don't know, that guy. Oh, yeah, Niall, Niall Ferguson is a, is a kind of a shill economic, um, a, a sort of a, he's a guy who writes books saying, what was it, why people just like me are the very best in the world. <laughs> and he, he explains to all the rich, powerful people in the world why they're rich, they're rich and powerful because they're good uh, and clever. Uh, and they deserve it. Uh, and, and he's made a lot of money uh, doing that, so, so that's who he is. So I read Niall Ferguson today, right? <laughs> And he was, oh, I mean, it was the greatest thing. And he was a, was a column on the defense secretary. And, you know, whatever. You know, we'll see in a lot of it. But the normalization process is something most of us are wrestling with. And I cannot get over this whole popular vote thing. It's driving me mad. We've never in my lifetime had this big of a disparity in popular vote and electoral vote. And it's causing problems now because we've gone, you know, we always kind of skated with the electoral college, not to get too inside baseball here. But we've skated for years with only one blip, 2000, Al Gore. And you could kind of write that one off because it was a really close election anyway. Super close. This one isn't. I mean, this one, she's beating him. He's got, he's got less percentage of the vote than Mitt Romney. The guy who, as you heard Baldwin last night, called him a little bitch. Yeah, he's got, he's got, it was pretty good, I thought, last night, the opening I did. But, that was uh, pretty good, actually, I have to say. <laughs> He's got less percentage of the vote than Mitt Romney did, and he's our president. Oh, my God. Can I stay? Does my flight have to leave tomorrow? But no, I got to go. I got to gut it out. I'm an American. I'm a real American, as the song says. The realist, Brian. You turned us onto a piece in the Irish Times, paper of record in, the, in this fine country, uh, about what else, one, one prism through which we might potentially be able to judge Trump's presidency, and that's through what he does with the NFL. Can you tell us a little bit, bit about this? Well, again, reading my Irish Times, wearing my penguin gear. <laughs> and, um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a great piece in the Times on Friday. And, it, you know, what happened was right before the election, and the election was getting very, very, very hot and heavy at the end, you know. Who knew what was going to happen? We thought we knew it was going to happen. And by the popular vote, we did know what happened. But anyway, um, Donald Trump, in one of his many off-the-cuff rants, started riffing on the NFL as a soft league now. A, con- a woman had passed out at his rally, and then she had revived herself. And he said, look at that woman. She's tough. She, and he, This is no joke. This is the kind of guy he is. He says, she's tough. She came back. It's not like this society today. It's not like this NFL. Oh, my head hurts. I can't play anymore. <laughs> you guys think I'm joking. That is not the Baldwin skit. That really happened. And an NFL executive, unnamed, talked to Bleacher Report's Mike Freeman. Might want to get him on the show. I'm always suggesting guests for you guys. Uh, And uh, he said, I I wonder if there will be an actual effect. Now, there's nothing tangibly, I think, that Donald Trump can do. But he can create a culture where all of a sudden we stop focusing on sort of concussions. Or, like he wants to say Merry Christmas again. No more happy holidays, you know. He wants, uh, you know, people, kids to be tough when they get concussions anyway. It's this whole, it's this pushback against the culture, what they've called the wussification of the culture of the last 30 years. Transgender bathrooms or whatever you want to say, that something that the right has had a problem with. The fact that he folded concussions into it was startling to me, but it braised the, pres- the question is will he create something, I don't know what, a culture, a call to an owner, a talk with the competition committee or whatever about maybe lessening the study of concussions. I just finished reading Steve Young's uh, autobiography on the flight over. Steve Young was Joe Montana's successor of the 49ers, Hall of Fame quarterback. I know maybe not totally well known here, but great, great, great player, Hall of Famer. And in that book, 
I mean, I must have, I'd go back 15, 20 different times. He says he gets concussed and he goes back into the game. So, I mean, this is the world we lived with for a long, 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 long time. The argument was that under Obama, the culture of science and facts took over. Now, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> it's a little bit of a leap to kind of make that. But I mean, if you believe that leaders create cultures or governments create cultures, it's something that we're going to sort of be aware of going forward. It's interesting because that's uh, yeah, the quote that he, uh, from the piece is under Obama the country was intellectual looked at a lot about facts I think that's why our ratings fell says the executive people read a lot about our scandals or CTE and didn't like what they saw under Trump the country will care less about truth or facts it'll be more raw and brutal football will be more of an outlet we'll go back to liking our violent sports so it, this it sounds like some of the owners of the teams might actually welcome the idea that you can you just go back to raw brutal violent brain-damaging football. Well, that's, it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, he'll get at least four years, maybe eight, who knows, but uh, he'll get at least four years to kind of create this culture. And yes, those rich people speak to each other. Trump and the Maras and the Roonies and the Yorks and all these families, the 32 coveted families that own NFL teams. And their competition committee is the one that I can't imagine they're going to roll back concussion studies. But the player, the owners want their players out there gutting it out. They're paying big money to these guys. Get out there on the field. I'm paying you a huge dollar. You know, The big thing is youth football now, right? So I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and neither of them is playing tackle football. Maybe 30 years ago they would be. And I have any number of friends in, in the blue coastal elite bubble of, Cal- of West Coast California uh, that created the popular vote victory for Hillary Clinton. So uh, that none, of, very, very few of them play tackle football now. So, would, no, so here's the one thing that could happen. Is if, if Trump changes the culture so much that in two, three years, people sort of uh, return to violence in football, return to the toughness of America with Mattis, the defense secretary, who's going to be a mad dog, and we're not going to take any more shit from anybody, you know, and all that. They thought Obama was a wuss, and Trump's a tough guy. Maybe three, four, five years from now, parents... Yeah, go go play football, son. Go be a real American. So that would be the only way I could see it. I wonder at the moment how many, um, what percentage of NFL players come from that uh, blue bubble you were talking about, and what percentage come from the red states? I mean, well, it would be heavy, 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 heavy African American impoverished. Yeah. That would be the deal. Now there would be some. There's a, there's a degree of them, but. Most of them play football. It's like boxing, and I believe we may have a boxer later on. Right? Most people box because they have to, you know, or at least in the history of American boxing, you could trace the immigrants through the years as to who was heavyweight champs, the Irish in the 1890s and 10s, and now Latinos and all that, the Italians in the mid-century and all that, Marciano. But, uh, but you know, the general feeling on football is you can only succeed on it if you desperately need to play it because it's no way to live. It's no way to live. So in some ways this talk we're talking about could have no effect because you know, an impoverished African-American kid is going to go need to feed himself and his family and he'll play anyway. I think what, what kind of makes it complicated as well is that I, I actually think he's got a point about this. Like, uh, I mean, the nature of the game is to be brutal and violent. It's just what the game consists of. It consists of collisions. It's about, like, brutalizing, dominating your opponent, which is, which is going to cause damage to, to you and to your opponent. And that's just... Something that you have to accept if you play this game. So you just give up on doing research into potentially limiting the damage? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm not sure how... I suppose if they could find a way to limit the damage, then that would definitely be a good thing. But I don't really see how the damage could be limited when the damage is caused by collisions which are integral to the game. So it seems as though if you're going to have this game, then... <laughs> It's just something that you have to accept. He had a quote in, in that story of, because, you know, uh, the romance of American football 
is created by that group called NFL Films. And if you guys ever see those on your late night TV or whatever, the guy did a masterful job. It's a propaganda, basically, with the martial music and everything, but they're brilliantly done. And they glorify these hitters, these Dick Buckets and Ray Nitschke, these legendary names from the 50s and 60s who would just crush people. And, and Trump's name-checked those guys in one of his ad-libbed sort of um, comments. He said, see, I was watching the game the other night. It was a great hit. And then they had to throw penalty flags and everything. And he said, I used to be Lawrence Taylor and Ray Nitschke. They'd make that hit. It was a great hit. And, yeah, and every cheers. And, yeah. So, you, you know, that's what you're talking about. He's not the first president to go down this route either, judging by that piece. Anyway, Reagan and Roosevelt, there's been a few, a few presidents who have, as part of their, what they would see as being a populist kind of uh, an effort, they've, they've gotten on top of it. I wondered NFL. about that piece because Teddy Roosevelt was famous for actually banning American football and rolling it back. So that was actually a, a curious, unless my, I should go back to my U.S. history class. You guys generally know U.S. history better than we Americans do, all right? Uh, that's true. <laughs> Sad to say. Uh, but I thought Roosevelt actually was involved in rolling it back. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, there was a couple of reaches in that piece now, which is why I'm sort of cautious. Oh, you recommended it to us. It's a, this is... <laughs> well, we got, uh, yeah, I, 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 to a point. I don't want to go, like, four steps past and say that this is, like, going to be the banner thing. But it is an interesting thing to think about, and it does speak to generally the culture that he wants to roll back and, and make America great again. Which, by the way, I was trying to get those hats for you guys. I can't find them in San Francisco. <laughs> I did find this, and we do have... Mark, where'd you put all those? Um, beside you, yeah. Where's that? Beside Ken there. Mark, or Ken. I don't know what these are, but oh, a bunch of hats. Yes, come on. All right. So I once arrived at my buddy Brian Kalu's house for Easter dinner in 1992 with no gifts. Just an one arm as long as the other, Brian, as we say here. <laughs> say it again? One arm as long as the other. I walked Frowned in. upon, I think you'll agree, <laughs> here, here in our culture. His legendary father, the late, great Mr. Brian Kalu, who was a principal down in Tulla, looked at me and he said, looked at his son, he said, your American has arrived with both arms the same length. <laughs> Does that mean I don't get any free beer and wine? Is that what I mean? <laughs> So, uh, so I'm always trying to bring gifts, but of course, traveling is a difficult thing. So, given that we are the coolest, like, so I went to the hate. Where's that bag? Is the bag over there too? I want to make sure we get that bag. Here we're we're ad libbing here, guys. We're on the fly. If anybody uh, has a bag that Brian Murphy left anywhere, <laughs> Mark Horgan, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, yeah, yeah. oh, it is. Yeah, here it is behind her. So I went to the hate Ashbury, right? The home of the cannabis leaf and the smelly hippie, right? Yep. Yeah, Ken, Ken was there when we were there last year. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and the rest of us, we all were there. So. Grateful Dead music trickling out of the speakers as I pulled up. I said, I got to get you guys something. So we call, these, we call these the snapbacks, what all the rappers like to wear. And we think that the Golden State Warriors are the coolest team in all of America, setting aside the 3-1 blown lead, <laughs> which is kind of a big deal over there. In fact, I am quite surprised, although maybe not because I can't see totally into the crowd. Did somebody bring a sign that says the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead? No. Because that is like, that has become the longest running joke in American sports now. Right. My beloved team blew a 3-1 NBA Finals lead, which had Our never happened. Our beloved team, Brian. Our I'm a lifelong fan <laughs> myself. Yeah. High five. You get the first hat. So, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. So yeah. what's happened is... Much to our dismay, many people enjoyed seeing the Warriors go down because the Warriors were feeling a little too good about themselves. Now, everywhere in America, every tweet, every th- people are going out of their way to get to the phrase, the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. 
there's a show called College Game Day. I think I told you guys this. They go to every college town across America to film big Saturday morning games, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Columbus, Ohio. Somebody there will have a sign that says the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> the night Donald Trump was elected president, I tell you guys that one? The Donald Tr- somebody sent out a tweet that was retweeted millions of times. It said, Donald Trump is now our 45th president. Four plus five equals nine. Nine is a number divisible by both three and one. The Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> But we're sticking by our team. So I brought you guys full on. These are the old throwback jerseys from the 60s when they played in San Francisco. The city snapbacks for you. Thank you very much, Brian. I want to see. There you go. There you go. Both arms arms are not the same length. (laughs) I want to see Ken Early's wearing his Adidas snapback, right? (laughs) Ken Early wearing his. We all want to see that, right? Simon and Mark. There you go. And I I brought one extra for the crowd. One for the crowd, right? <laughs> One forever to the audience didn't travel across Mark, the, the, the Atlantic. I'm sorry. That's for the entire audience. Yeah. Mark, ever, ever producing, said, he said, buddy, keep it aside. It'll be a giveaway at the next podcast. Okay. Right? U.S. Right. Murphy. Yeah, sounds good. And, Thanks, and, Brian. Thanks for me. the afform- the ever, ever ever-elusive Murph and Mac bobbleheads. Oh, you Whoa. finally got one over to us. A year and a half. Very there nice. There you go. There you go. Look at You look like a gangster rapper. Mark, you can't look. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Yeah. He looks like a Donald Trump voter, is what he looks like. <laughs> Cutting his lord. It's the flatness of the brim that makes you cool. Oh, okay. It is. It's the flat brim. Mm. Brian, you're a gentleman. We will be keeping this bobblehead, by the way. That's and I brought an extra one anywhere. for a lucky listener. Oh, okay, very ah, good. Okay, so so if I were you, I'd listen to the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you could win a Murphy Mac bobblehead and a Haight Ashbury delivered snapback. And the best part was, I spent so much damn U.S. currency on you guys. The guy said, "You went over the magic number. You get a free Haight Ashbury bag." <laughs> so um, it's all written in its hippy dippy language too. Look at that. The, Whoa, it's totally trippy, man. <laughs> Whoa. So uh, I want you to next time you guys go shopping for your psychedelic drugs, carry them home in this. <laughs> all right, so Brian. Legendary. We've been asking now to email. The question's into Brian Murphy here. And with thanks to our good friends at Penguin Original Clothing, we'll be giving away a 250 euro voucher to one of the live scumbags from tonight's audience later on. Right now, we're going to give away two goodie bags uh, for Original Penguin Clothing. Murph, which of the locusts here gets to devour these? James Coffee. Hello, James. Uh, right. Can't wait for Sunday. My question for you is Murph, given his excellent sporting knowledge across most fields, which second captain's host? does he feel is the best overall sportsman, taking into account their physical attributes? Some would say that historical walking tours is a sport. But, uh... So you look at a man like Ken, and I'm mesmerized by his prose last night, right? So I'm thinking the man can move his fingers, right, across mm-hmm. a keyboard. So that would be his athletic skill. I'll keep that in. Yeah, good. Take that into. I look at a man like Owen, and Friday night we're at, you guys know the pub Whelan's on uh, Camden Street, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Did I get that yep. right? That's it, yep. Right, Whelan's on Camden. And uh, Owen comes late because he's at the 50th anniversary of his, was your primary school, was it? Secondary school, okay. St. Penelope's College. What did he bring back? No joke, a vintage photo of his Leinster Division Three. Two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Table tennis championship photo. Our presenter, everyone. Then, last night, and I know he didn't want to do this, but I made Kieran Murphy swing by the Clarence to meet my buddies from Mullingar and Tulla, 
It was the last thing he wanted to do. He was exhausted. And I said, There's, I came from freaking San Francisco. You're coming to see my buddies, all right? So Karen came by, and like the true Irishman he was, never let on that he was fucking angry to be there, all right? <laughs> he played the happy Irishman, right? The whole time seething that I no, made him come no, in. That's right. But there was discussion of your GAA history mm-hmm. that you had played, I believe, a minor... A minor? Yeah, uh, with, with my school a bit. I, listen, I left out almost all of the highlights because that's the kind of guy I am. But uh, yeah, so maybe I touched on one or two, you know, underage successes, blinding underage successes. But I mean, so you're saying me? Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah let's, so, let's so, rattle through these last yeah, couple. Of so uh, I'm calling it a three-way tie: the uh, fingers, <laughs> the ping pong, the minor GAA. <laughs> right. uh, Don Cafferkey wants to know. We must, be br- we must be uh, brief here, Brian. Wants to know if you heard how Breen Celtic got on last week against McCroom AFC in their first ever Cup semi-final. Don says he has no excuse for not knowing this. It received huge coverage on their Facebook page. You do bang on about Breen quite a lot, Brian. So do you know? Are my Breen people here? Just one. Done. Just one. <laughs> Front row as well. Oh, Eager. Whatever the question was, I say yes to Don. Yeah. All right? They lost on penalties. Will... Sorry, sorry, Wink. Uh, Will Hamilton has one very simple question for you, Brian, but he doesn't win a goodie bag. I should, I should say. Does he win a? (laughs) Keep, keep, keep talking, Hamilton. You're on the way out. Hi, US Murph. Hi, hi, US Murph. Now that you're among friends here and nobody else is listening, tell us the truth. Who's going to win the Murph and Mackey for best airline, Hawaiian Airlines or (coughs) Aer Lingus? Two words, Brian, and I hope that you're going to say the right two words here. I don't know the answer, but I do know the announcement will be made at the Clarence Hotel. All right? So stay tuned. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're coming back out here a little bit later on, but for now... I ain't going anywhere. Show the love, please, for U.S. Murph! Oh, actually, hang tight there, because... I don't know... Are we ad-libbing? Well, you're doing a bit of ad-libbing here. Before we let you go, have you heard about the exploits of our next guest? Ireland's new favourite rugby player, Tyg Furlong? You mean my, my new favourite rugby player, Tyg Furlong? He, he, word of him has made it over to... So, what was I doing last night in the pub, but calling up YouTube highlights of Tyg Furlong on the phone? What was I doing today, reading about him in the Irish Times? Reading about his uncles down in Bantry Bay, or fishermen? I'm all up to speed. Is he here? He's right here. I better get out of here. Coming right up, we're talking to U.S. Mayor's favorite Irish rugby player, one of our heroes from that unbelievable day in Soldier Field, Chicago. New Zealand to Ryan Cotty, getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I can't believe it. Ryan Cotty scores! Oh, my goodness! They've managed it. It's 22 each. Have you got a chance? Uh, no. No, uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20-point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. running with the ball, Zebo in a bit of space, and there's plenty of room too, All Blacks flying back in defence, off it goes to 
Julian Sarvier, he can't go anywhere five metres from. Oh, what a play from Ireland. This is it, really. This is it for Ireland. They can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them, unless they are demanded to by the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the head. conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags. This is history in the making and they are really good for an island. They deserve this. And what a night it's going to be. What a triumph it is for Joe Smith. Kiwi boy who's engineered some real history. Into the grandstand it goes. Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time. wrapped up in the pill. Tiger, very welcome. Thanks very much for popping into us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not at all. Now, we've been trying to beat the All Blacks for was it 111 11 years, years tw- on, yeah. 28 matches. You make your second start for the country and just hammer them. This international rugby lark is pretty handy yeah. by the looks of things. Yeah, I was thinking that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable day and, you know, in that final whistle when Robbie went over for that try, you sort of knew that we had it and there was cue hysteria on the bench there. I was jumping around like a madman. I didn't know what to do with myself. But, you know, afterwards it was just really good crack and even walking around in the stadium and, you know, the Bears stadium there, it's, oh, it's yay high, like, and there's no roof on the stadium and it just seems like there's walls and walls of people and, you know, the majority were Irish and they hung around afterwards and, you know, it was just incredible. The whole weekend obviously was insane with the Cubs winning the World Series as well. It's, it's, you were only a few weeks afterwards, but it, Seems like the kind of the kind of day, the kind of weekend that will stay with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember just walking around, just saying, "Jesus, like it can't be this good all the time." And <laughs> I have to, <laughs> I have to remember this because these sort of days aren't going to come around very often. Your uh, your family didn't make it over to Chicago, did they? No. Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> and my father. What the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> my father wouldn't be the greatest with flying. Um, oh, right. He's a farmer as well, so you know it's tends to have a bit of trouble getting the right fellow to look after the cows and who's gone. <laughs> Did you get to talk to talk to him afterwards? Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I said in an interview afterwards, he doesn't have a mobile phone. He actually doesn't. So um, the mother was straight on. She just got the hang of WhatsApp, so I just got a call from her, and um, she stayed up a bit late with the time difference. But yeah, it was good to chat him, chat to him, and obviously they were watching back home, and you know they're very proud. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody in New Ross and... There you are, certainly that person from New Ross, Ross yeah. is pretty excited. Have you, have you managed to get back home, back to the club? Uh, yeah, so we had a few days off this week and uh, I just popped back home. You know, it was good to, I suppose, get out of hotels for a while and, and get out of the bubble. So, you know, I just caught up with a few people and... Uh, they must have been absolutely uh, over the moon, were they? Yeah, absolutely. And you just get so many calls, texts and... Um, 
you know, I'm the only professional rugby player ever to come from the club, so, you know, it means a lot to them and it means a lot to me to represent uh, those people down there and, you know, they put a lot of work into me as they do to every young fella that comes through the club and, you know, hopefully it repays them a small bit for the work that they do. Is there any added pressure, given that that's your background compared to the guys who are coming through the rugby schools and all that? Um, yeah, maybe at the start I did feel a bit like that, but I think as you, you as you settle into becoming a professional rugby player, even it was the same um, back when I started playing with Leinster, um, you know, you have that sort of weight of representing them on your shoulders and you don't want to let them down, but I think as you get a bit more comfortable in your environment that you start to settle down and you can focus more on your performance. Now, the return match, obviously, New Zealand went around busting heads. They were an absolute disgrace. You don't have to say anything at all about it. You were saying it backstage. (laughs) He wasn't, he wasn't. But you, for one, were having none of it. Who wants to see the video of Tig putting a bunch of All Blacks on on. their arses? All right, let's see it. once more. In midfield, it's Tig Furlock. And still going and battering All Black jerseys out of the way. In midfield, it's... Tight furlock and still going and all black jerseys out of the way. Never applause for that, everybody. Unbelievable. No big deal, by the way, by the way, there. No big deal at all. Just two world players of the year, including the all blacks captain being swatted aside. What was your own favourite bit of that clip? I, I quite like the Kieran Reed bit. Uh, I think my belly gets a good flash there, doesn't it? So, um, <laughs> it's always good to get the goat out on national television. Six pack, Ty. Yeah, yeah, of course, exactly. six pack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just the angle of the camera can sometimes. You know. <laughs> now, I would imagine it takes a lot to impress your teammates when you're playing international rugby for Ireland. But surely a few of them had a had a nice word for you after the video replays of that one. Um, you, don't, you don't have to be too modest now. It must have been. A, they, they must have noticed that that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I came up in the the video review and. Um, Joe Schmidt said, oh, here comes WWF. <laughs> <laughs> so not even WWE, WRF, so we're going back <laughs> yeah. to eight years. Yeah, 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 uh, that'll be my year now yeah, watching yeah. The, the rest. And uh, so, of course, the lads jumped on the bandwagon and started like Rikishi, the big fat Samoan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, oh, as you may or may not know, this has been par for the course for Tig ever since his uh, sporting career began because here's some action from the Wexford under-40B county final between... Horswood and St. Martin's, and I think you'll see that Ryle Nugent's commentary actually fits the bill quite nicely for this clip as well. In midfield, it's tight furlock. And still going. Battering all black jerseys out of the way. So, uh, there you go. I mean, what I love about this is the cheeky little dig that the opposition yeah. number three tries to throw your, uh, throw your... A bit of a cheap shot there. Uh, now, I have heard that you were 12 in that clip, it, it playing under 14. Yeah, I was 12. Um, I always struggled with my weight as a young fella. Uh, <laughs> so, I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. <laughs> so... So you imagine, uh, until I was about 19 or 20, I hit 20 stone, I was 20 once, and yeah, yeah. I kind of left that there, yeah, so it yeah. wasn't healthy to continue. <laughs> but so, I was 12 there, so as you can imagine, the communion, the confirmation photos <laughs> at home are quite pudgy. Uh, 
But yeah, it was just, um, I actually, all. I've heard of a guy who uh, lives in Moycullen in, in County Gold. He's, si- he's over 60 years old. His nickname is still Stone Baby because he was a stone weight when he was born. <laughs> Are you asking Tyke Furlong what weight he was when he was no, born? No, no, no. He doesn't need to share that. I just thought everyone needed to hear about Stone Baby. That's all. By the way, good skills As, as you were, back to our... We're, uh, we're focusing on the size. Incredible skills. Most inter-county footballers can't execute that tackle correctly. I know, I know. Doing it brilliantly. Uh, you grew up on a farm, as you mentioned. You, U.S. Murph mentioned your uncles who were fishermen. That's, is that where the natural physical strength comes from? Yeah, um, my mother comes from this tiny island off Bantry Bay um, in West Cork called Whitty Island. I mean, this place is barren. Um, it's three miles wide by one mile uh, long. And... Um, I mean, there's only about 20 people live on this island, so um, my uncles are all huge men, hardy men down there, and I think that's where I got my size from, and um, very hardy fishermen, and one of my uncles is the ferryman, ferry in out to the island. Once he gets you there, he has you in the trap. <laughs> he owns the pub on the island, so yeah. Any penny you spend on Whitty Island is good yeah. to your uncle, basically. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to rent a bike, he has the bikes on the island. <laughs> if you even want to stay overnight, he has the holiday homes as well, so... If you ever think of going down there, he's a good contact to have. But yeah. you, uh, you talked after the New Zealand game about not wanting to get too stereotyped as a particularly a tight head prop. There seems to be an idea that you're not supposed to get around the field that much and you, sh- you should focus on the basics. Is it something that Joe Schmidt encourages to, to get around, to get a bit more done than, than just locking down the scrum and so on? I think any coach, his first ask of his tight head will always be to scrum because without scrum, there's no platform. They have access into the game if they start getting penalties out of it. So, um, first and foremost, every coach always tells you scrum. And what you can do outside your, your core duty of scrum, line out, and rucks really is an added bonus. And I don't know, I don't know what is um, maybe it's the GAA background or, or whatever that may, maybe helps me to get around a bit. I, I don't know. Um, I, I suppose when I came into the academy, uh, a, cal- a fellow called Colin McEntee in Leinster was looking after me and he said, well, look, this can be your point of difference. just need to sort of get your scrum and everything else up to the standard to play professional rugby. And you know, he helped me a massive amount and I suppose he opened my eyes a small bit in that, in that way. Now, Murph, by the way, I should mention here, just on, on, on that theme of getting around the pitch, Murph has been boasting in recent podcasts about what he would do to Finley Bealham in a 50-metre sprint. <laughs> what, is there anyone in here that doesn't think I could take Finley Bealham in a sprint? What would your estimate be without having seen Murph run? Um, I'd say you take him. I'd say you have a good stride on you, Chief. Um, well, fi- that didn't work out as expected. I was hoping for something completely different. Um, there. No, we we'll just move on now because Tiger's going to say yeah. something nice about yeah. me, so that's fine. That's, you that's you were involved nice. uh, in a pretty key moment that you didn't want to be involved in in the Australia game. You were the player tip tackled by Dean Mum. Now, he only got a yellow card at the time. Were you expecting him to see red? I didn't know what to expect, really, um, because. It was in a ruck. It was kind of it was slow, and it didn't it didn't hurt um, because I kind of just break the fall. Us, yeah. yeah, I break my fall with my elbow. So at the time you're thinking oh, this is definitely yellow. Is it a red? I don't know. And it turned out to be a yellow. And look, in fairness to me, came up after the match and said so, sorry. And look, nice. I, I, you can't think that you know he did that intentionally. You know, Th- those t- well, for a while there was an edict about those tackles. I don't know. It seems to have gone away a little bit. But when you're the player in that position. I'm sure it's pretty rare you're scared on the rugby field. Obviously, you can't go in with that attitude. But at moments like that, when you've lost control of your own sort of body, is there, is there, uh, are you a bit fearful about how you're going to land? Maybe not. And maybe that's probably the wrong situation for it because, you know, it's so slow. Maybe if you're running into someone, they tackle you, and then you go horizontal or your legs go yay high, 
you, know, you see yourself landing on your head, that can be, get a bit scary, but probably that one there, no. Dean Mum, by the way, is, when he got that yellow there, he was cited, escaped punishment, Murph, after the Independent Disciplinary Committee concluded the offence wasn't worthy of a red card. Boo! <laughs> now, I know, I know, Ty, that you're embarrassed with the Lions speculation at the moment, but beside your article in the Sunday Times today was, these are popping up every week at this stage, the Sunday Times, four of their writers picked their Lions team, not just squad, and you were in three of them. It's actually Peter O'Reilly was the only one, the only Irish writer who didn't have you in, so you can take that Wearing up with the green you. jersey there, have you, have you allowed yourself to start? Yeah. Have you allowed yourself to start thinking about that at all? Now, you can give us the stock answer and then the actual answer. <laughs> oh, Peter, like I already did the interview in Ford of Paper, you put me in there like a <laughs> snake. Um, <laughs> backstabbing. Um, no, honestly, I said before, and look, I think when you think of the Lions, you think of so many great rugby players and, you know, the tradition that goes with it. And on paper, I've only started four games for Ireland, two games in the Champions Cup for, for Leinster. So I think if you put those statistics to a Lions jersey, it doesn't really add up for me at the minute. And um, look, I'd, I'd like to see how the next few weeks go because, you know, Northampton have a, a very, very good scrum and the Six Nations probably be a good barometer because, you know, Southern Hemisphere teams don't tend to scrum for penalties where... Uh, up in the Six Nations when the weather's a bit dirtier and um, you're playing the likes of England, France, Italy, you know, they, they try to gain access into the game with scrum penalties. So that'll probably be a good, better barometer to see where we're at and, uh, and try to drive towards. Okay, that's the stock answer. <laughs> uh, is it something... It's incredible how far you've come in such a short space of time. Internationally, as you say, you've only played a limited amount of, of, of uh, Heineken Cup of European Cup games, but you've come on so strong. You were picked in the World Cup squad after starting as a substitute in the war against Wales was your, was your debut. You know, that seems like a very short space of time between that and starring against Australia, against New Zealand, against these kind of teams. The confidence that you take into those games, is that something that comes naturally to you? Do you have to work at making yourself believe that, you know, I, I, I can put it up to these guys and I can help a team beat New Zealand? Um, I suppose I was tipping around the squad there for a while and I was in training, I was involved in you know, the World Cup, the Summer Tour, bit of Six Nations, so you get a bit of experience that way. Um, I suppose you're looking into a black hole, really, knowing what you're going to come up against New Zealand, because I've never played them before, and, you know, I have to say, when you're really well prepped up, that leads to confidence, that clarity of your role, the job that's um, expected of you, I suppose. So you have confidence in the team and you have confidence in the lads around you, and you know there's some lads with a huge amount of experience there that will pull you through the tough times as well. Listen, we wish you well for the rest of the season well, against Northampton in the couple of games and then for the rest of the season. Let's hear it for the rampaging fullback on the Horswood under 14 Gaelic football team, Tyke Furlong. Thanks a million, Tyke. Excellent stuff from Tyke. Now, Murph, there has been a bit of a scandal developing in the last week or so on the show. Mm. Mm, bit of a controversy. I'm not sure this is the right environment even to raise this because passions could easily spill over. But it's, it's only right, I think, that you bring this to everybody's attention. Well, this is the debate that has divided the country on, uh, pitted brother against brother, and once again has shown the increasing polarisation between city and country that threatens to, to rip this nation apart. It is, of course... The bog toe, not the toe bog. The toe bog. Uh, which I mentioned on the show last week to describe Josie Mourinho's sideline water bottle rampage. Uh, you laughed in my face uh, when I said bog toe. 
the internet quickly became inflamed. I received high-profile support from fellow podcast dork, Jareth Regan. Thank you, Jareth. And from the more rural parts of the country, your Navins, your males of this world. Others agreed that while the toll bog is a Dublinism, bog toll wasn't right either. Mark Townsend of Kilkenny offered bull toll as his regent's offering. Got high-profile support from Sligo, Leitrim, West Clare. Other variants included Tolsey, Toll Drive, and Toll Bob. All from Cork. Uh, Conan Doherty in Derry suggested Toblow, which Ken correctly stated was the worst thing he'd ever heard. Uh, further afield, three separate missives from Australia, from Ahmed Yusuf, Matt Vidiello, and Josh Parrish, all gave us Tobash. Uh, JT Brandon in Manchester suggested Top Toe. Jeff O'Connell from Toronto says Tobog. Malvolio in Wexford, Tyke, Furlong Country, suggested Big Toe, as did Alan Dunn in Westmead, which I can only presume is an autocorrect error. Uh, but in the interest of fairness... I'll give the last word to Andy Mullins, who gives this thorny issue the respect it deserves. I was born a Tobog man, writes Andy, and I'll die a Tobog man. Hit it! I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Well, if you were listening last Thursday, you know it was a momentous day for the Scumbag of the Week slot because a listener got in touch to point out that the narrator of our Scum intro, Man of the People, Pat Kenny, had been involved in a rather heated exchange on his own radio show and news talk. Let's just say he didn't take too kindly to a comment made by the Sinn Féin politician Owen O'Brien. Do we want to hear it? Here goes. You earn an hour's overtime and half it goes to Michael Noonan. How fair is that? Well, first of all, Pat, I would, I would imagine that I spend a lot more time with ordinary uh, average income earners than you do. Uh, but what's also crucial hey, is, hey, hey, hey. is Cheap that, shot, is cheap, that, shot uh, cheap shot, cheap shot, cheap shot. No, I, come on. All my colleagues in News Talk, they're not high earners. I work with them every single day of the week. And I know their difficulties every day. I'm mature. I've earned a, a good living over many years. I started at the bottom like everybody else. And I'm looking at people who are working their way up from the bottom. So don't lecture me about the company I keep. And to think, and to think, if we had hung on in there for a couple more months, Murph, we could have been among those low-income earners that he sees on a daily basis. Cheap shot, cheap shot, cheap shot, cheap shot. Man of the people. Today's scumbag and the winner of our first prize of a 250 euro voucher for Penguin Original Clothing is David O'Connell. David, where are you here? Great stuff. You're, you're quietly spoken, David, but you're here, so that's good. Thanks for being such a great scumbag and emailing us during the week at secondcaptainsatirishtimes.com. Uh, where is it? Hi, lads. Looking forward to the show on Sunday. I was hoping you might revisit the topic of the Putin. <laughs> Putin. We've yeah, been yeah, through yeah. this. Which was discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago. I, I made a slightly unfortunate mispronunciation at the time. Me and a few friends were in San Francisco for this summer, living across the bay in Berkeley. Uh, while there, we discovered possibly the best post-night out drunk food on the planet, the poutine. My friend Dan, who'll be there on Sunday, wants to know if US Murph has ever visited Smoke's Poutinery in Berkeley, and if so, what is his favorite poutine topping? All the best from Dave. Do you think we should have prepared for this question before I came out here, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no I haven't been to the poutine. I is thought for sure they're going to say Blondie's Pizza, right? <laughs> well, that's but, no good. Is Berkeley renowned as a poutine hotspot worldwide? What's poutine? Oh, well, that was cheap that, shot. Cheap shot. Cheap shot. Maybe you can describe what poutine is. L- listen, we're all wandering around here in the middle of this poutine conversation. No one has a clue what it is. It's chips covered in gravy with something else. Dave knows. Yeah, it's fine. 
Cheese, cheese curds. Oh, cheese curds. Mmm. <laughs> Tasty. Curds. Uh, I'm going to land tomorrow at 3.35 at SFO. I'm going to hail a taxi and head straight to the Berkeley's top poutine spot. <laughs> well Just done. for that man right there. <laughs> well right? you, David. A 250-year-old penguin voucher on the way to you. That's it for the Irish Times Second Cotton's football podcast. So thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Alan. Okay, 2016. So not a great year. We had Trump. We had Brexit. And we had a lot of ridiculously cool people dying, unfortunately. But there was some good stuff happening, too. And I want to welcome a few friends of the show out here to share their favorite moments of the last 12 months. Joining Richie and U.S. Murph, who can stay right here. Jonathan, I'm going to have to boot you off at some point. I, I do apologize. Joining Richie and U.S. Murph. Thanks so much to Jonathan Wilson. That was a terrib- terribly rude way for me to <laughs> send Jonathan off. News editor at the journal Sinead Carroll and Ushin McConville, everybody! Is Memphis with me? Yeah! Is Louisville with me? Yeah! Is Houston with me? Yeah! Am I the greatest? that woke Bobby up there. Sorry about that, Richie. She seemed to be sleeping like a, uh, like any of them there. Ushi McConville, where are you? We might start with you. Your favourite. You're s- struggling with... Uh, you okay? Yeah, good. Thanks. <laughs> he just pulled a microphone out of his air. Oh, yeah. That was skillfully done. Sorry, I didn't realise what was going on there. Your favourite uplifting, upbeat moment from 2016? Somebody said there was a brawl in the Premier League game uh, yesterday. Yeah. Did you think that was a brawl? <laughs> I remember being in a brawl one time. Uh, I started it and Francie Bellia knocked six lads out and finished it and then training was over and uh, <laughs> there wasn't another word said about it uh, I think the two, fi- the two uh, Gaelic football finals were very very good uh, this year I enjoyed the hurling as well I think the big thing about, about Gaelic football at the minute is you have, a, you have to wait a long time before you get a decent match and I think it was the All-Ireland final this year. See, when I come to uh, stuff like this that you guys do, there's always loads of people from Mayo here, so <laughs> I'm going to be... <laughs> told you. Uh, so you have to be really, really careful. But uh, I really enjoyed the, the draw match on the, on the, on the All-Ireland final. I was at both of them, and they were exhilarating, you know. But it took us a long time to get there, because otherwise the, the football championship was pretty poor this year. Well, Murph told me that it was Killian O'Connor's missed free was going to be your actual moment. Did yeah. you just did you just see all the Mayo people and decide not to talk about <laughs> missed free? No. Um, the strange thing is, and <coughs> I'm not massively massive into stats, but I think there was 18 free kicks in the All Ireland final. There was only one free kick missed, and that was Killian O'Connor. So, just shows you what the standard, you know, was like. <laughs> that makes it worse, doesn't it? But. Uh, <laughs> Just shows you what the standard is like now. Uh, you know, I, I put the markers in Dean Rock for the first game. You know, he, he couldn't hit a barn door. And uh, the second day, he was, he was impeccable. And the same thing with Killian O'Connor. Morph, we've talked before about, you know, how uh, clinical Killian O'Connor is. How he doesn't miss. How he moves on from every situation. How he's mentally so strong. Um, and he's he's a guy who will recover from that. And yeah, I mean, it's it? like what you're talking about there is a guy who uh, kicked a point in the last minute of the drawn game from you know 
Clonlifrod, like just an absolutely unbelievable score that showed unbelievable courage, unbelievable skill at the exact moment that his county needed him most. And you know, probably you know, seventy or eighty percent of people have forgotten that, and all they think about is the fact that he goes and misses a free in the last minute to to do the exact same that he did in the drawn game, misses that one free, the only free that he missed all game. But but even if you say to people, you know. Um there wasn't a free kick missed in, say, no forward missed a free kick in the final. The only free kicks that were missed in the final were um, Henley's kicks, which were virtually impossible. Uh, like, Stephen Cluxon does have a lot to answer for because you you go to a junior B game or go to a you know a, a county final all over the country, last minute of the game, fuck, the goalkeeper can kick the ball 75 yards, let's bring him up. He can't kick it in the direction that he, that he <laughs> need to kick it in, but uh, and I think that's in any direction isn't actually all that much used to you, you no. know. <laughs> but I think that's the thing about about uh, the two boys who were kicking in the final. It was it was impeccable. It was an absolute masterclass, and it's just unfortunate for Killian O'Connor. And the strange thing is, if you if you want to be an anorak about it and you want to you know look at the way he kicked the free kicks, he actually kicked the last free kick slightly different to the way he kicked the rest of them. And maybe that's just pressure. Sinead, you were in Rio for the Olympics. I was. What was your standout memory? Um, standout memory or good memory, I guess, are very, very different things. Let's go standout. It sounds more interesting. Um, I guess Annalise Murphy winning her medal on the Tuesday, um, having worked with, with her family, I kind of did features around kind of her family and how kind of it takes kind of a, a village to, to make an Olympic medal a lot of the time, especially because we have so little money to give to our athletes. Um, so that was a real standout moment. And then the following morning, um, actually went out that, that evening and found the coppers of uh, Rio, which I think Gary O'Donovan has talked about. I was there that night. I, I kind of hung up the journalist hat for the evening. And uh, my lovely colleague who's here said, we had a 3am phone call um, every day with TV3, and my lovely colleague said, I'll do the 3am phone call, you go out and enjoy yourself, and you can start tomorrow at midday or whatever. Next thing, knock on the door when I eventually get in from the coppers of Rio. Uh, about two hours later, knock on my door. You awake? I am now. Have you looked at your phone? No. What happened? Pat Hickey's just been arrested. <laughs> right. Okay. Where do I have to be? Getting around Rio, not the easiest thing to do. Getting around Rio during the Olympics, really not the easiest thing to do. So, right, I have to be somewhere in about an hour. And police station, no idea. Can't speak Portuguese. I've just about got Obrigado down. Um, and I get into this, just the most bizarre journalistic situation I've ever been. It's a press conference. There is probably 50 to 60 journalists there, about 15 cameras. Like, you'd never see 15 cameras set up, really, in a news conference in in, in Dublin, bar maybe, bailout time. That's kind of what I remember. Um, and there's four suited policemen with Pat Hickey's passport, his accreditation, his tickets that he found. There were seven tickets found in his hotel room. They're on the desk. And we're allowed to do whatever we want with them. I have Pat Hickey's passport in my hand. <laughs> they, were, they were incredibly open with the information from the start. The from, from that first, and, and they did get a little bit more closed off after that. But that very initial press conference, they showed us notes from, from their investigation. They showed all the items that they had taken from, from Pat Hickey's room. And they, they did it all in Portuguese, actually, which wasn't too helpful for, as news journalists, if you're going out for an, a news event, you usually have a fixer who will speak the language. 
for the Olympics, not really that necessary um, because everything is done through English and it's kind of all very much um, streamlined. But when you're there and the police are talking Portuguese, you're going, crap, how am I going to like get this down? You find someone who'll translate for you. Um, you find someone afterwards who'll speak a little bit of English and, and tell you what's happening. And they're telling you exactly about the arrest. And at this point, I haven't seen the footage yet of Pat Hickey's actually like not wearing any clothes when he gets arrested. <laughs> so this is already bizarre enough, and then, and then you hear that. Did you come away from that? Because I know watching it, it got to a point where you're thinking, Jesus, like, this is what sport is now at the top level. Did you have those thoughts coming home from it? Well, I guess coming as a, a news journalist who was writing about sport as well, there was that kind of thing going into Olympics. There's always something. Um, what we didn't know that we were going to have Michael O'Reilly the day before it even started. Then the ticket st- stuff starts dropping a little bit. Um, then you have Shane Ross coming over and having the, the face-off with, with Mr. Hickey. and um, So it all gets a bit crazy. And then you're trying to factor in all of that stuff. So um, at the same time, Ryan, Ryan Lochte, you probably have some more good stuff from that. The American journalists are going, should we cover Pat Hickey? Should we go back? And they're kind of going from police station to police station to figure out what Ryan Lochte has done and then what Pat Hickey has done. So We're very proud. <laughs> How big did that become during the Olympics, the Lochte story? Well, it's story. funny you say that because you, you were going to ask me my 2016 memory. I was kind of queuing it up because... You know, you can go with the obvious. The Cubs win the World Series for the first time in 108 years. It's, and I was joking with Tig backstage, which, by the way, is cool to say. I was joking with Tig backstage <laughs> right? uh, and saying uh, over pints too, by the way. Uh, but saying, the, you were the only one drinking the pints, so we have to be no, very clear I, on I, that. Poor Andy Lee's on like his fifth one back there. All right, so you guys better get him out here. All right, so, uh, so anyway, uh, I was saying. To Tig, it was incredible the great line I got from an Irishman in Chicago, or one of you guys here said, the Cubs are only the second biggest story in Chicago this week. And I thought that was an amazing event because the Cubs' 108-year drought is eclipsed two days later by the All Blacks' 110-year conquest. So, so obviously that's the biggest story in America for sure by a mile, other than unless somebody in the time since I've last been out here made a sign that says the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> I expect that to be part of the uh, second captain's montage in the future, right? Uh, but that, but I was going to say, just like set aside, in the year of Trump, I, w- I got to go with Lochte as like the classic American sports story because how nonsensical I feel our, our sports society has become, our society in general, that Ryan Lochte, who's a hell of a swimmer, by the way, one of the greatest swimmers ever, right? I mean, this isn't just some, some clown, right? He's, if it wasn't for Michael Phelps, he would be the greatest American swimmer of all time. He's the second greatest swimmer of, of all time. And this nonsense happens, and we had to get dragged through day after day of different detail and different report and all that. And what was the end game? That he went on dancing with the stars, right? So that to me was like, throw my hands up in the air. That's America, 2016. Put Trump in the White House. I'm done. <laughs> It sounds exciting all the same, though, from a news point of view, covering that kind of story. Yeah, absolutely. Like, each, each day got a little bit more bizarre and a, a little bit more interesting as well. And a few people were like, what's real? Like, no idea. Didn't step on Copacabana once during, during the, whole, the whole occasion. We were there for a month. And by the end, you are kind of like, oh, it'd be, be nice to not, not get out of the, get, not be at a police station. We were at the police station. There was a, a group of us outside. I think there was 12 of us at one point, mostly Irish at this point, a couple of people from AFP, one of the wires who would do international stuff and then it was getting darker and the, the, what, who we thought were policemen um, said to us well actually you need to come in now it's dangerous for you to be out there we're like okay if pe- 
police and are telling you it's dangerous. There's actually an unpacified favela across the road, and they don't um, have we don't have any authority over them. We're like, okay, well we've been standing here for five hours. Thanks for that heads up. <laughs> and then we realise these guys are, these guys aren't even policemen. They're security guards that the policemen hire to keep them safe inside their police station. <laughs> right. So so far we've got a Miss Free in an All Ireland final. Olympic scandal, Olympic scandal. These are our highlights of 2016. This was supposed to be the uplifting part of the chat. Richie, please save us. The Ireland beat Italy in the Euros. Hey! Woo! At last, some light entertainment. Way to play to the crowd, Richie. Because <laughs> I remember how it felt before the game. I, I was working on that game, I think, on the radio that night. And because it was reasonably good start against Sweden and things went so badly wrong against Belgium. You're sitting there wondering, is there a big performance in this team? And, and there was, the game was great, the way the goal went in, the scenes of celebration behind the goal, it obviously meant we were still going to stay in the tournament. But what I remember most about the night was, I think I met you in town, um, and just the mood and the atmosphere around town that night. I hadn't been out in a night out like that, where everyone was... Was that excited and that positive? It was, it was the Irish yeah, team. it was like a sort of miniature version of what. Well, we, we were too young to sit to know really what was going on in Italian ninety in town. But those videos that you see, nothing quite like that. But it was the closest that everyone got kept saying that they were like, "This is our the result of our generation," because we were all a lot younger back then. And, and to beat a team like Italy at a stage like that and the way we did, everyone was big in this. So, but it was just the atmosphere. So I think the more I'm giving my answer here, it's not so much the the, the win or the performance. It's the crack we had in the pub that night. <laughs> and, and the football team can do that a lot more than any other team. I think it, it kind of gets the whole country and every everybody going more so than I think any other sport. Yeah, and it was the first time for a while that they've been able to do that, though, and it's, it's continued, th- thankfully, for the last while. You have uh, Italian heritage as well, though, Brian, so I don't well, know who you're supporting to, uh, on the If on anybody the listened to the podcast when I arrived Thursday, I was smacked down by Ken. So, you know, I, but what we do in America is you play whichever, because there's very few 100% heritage Americans. You're mixed, especially as the years go on. With you know, but to have just two is kind of unique. So my mother's 100 percent Italian, my father's 100 percent Irish heritage. So, so what I do is I study the World Cup bracket, <laughs> and I kind of look for the favorable matchups. All right. So uh, rest assured, I love my time here. I'm loving being here tonight. It's so great the whole time. The Emmett walking tour. Let's just say that in international football, I tend to go a little deeper with Italy. All right. <laughs> Real nice. The boys, real nice talk. <laughs> the Azuri tend to hang around for a couple weeks longer than the boys in Greece. We have beaten them at a World Cup and a European Championships. Well, and oh, I was yeah. there at the Meadowlands in 1994. I was there. It was quite amazing. And, and you know, it's so Irish, right? I was trying to brag about being there in 1994 at the Meadowlands. And I said, and I was building up the story. And I said, in Rayo's goal in the seventh minute. And one of you said, that was a shit goal, wasn't it? <laughs> Probably Ken, let's be quite honest. Yeah. It Seems was like Ken, Ken wasn't it? Yeah. I think that might have been me, actually, now that I, now that I mentioned it. You've given me enough for grilling tonight, so we'll play Ken. one of you. It was typical. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, there was, um, uh, it, I, so I won't mention, I won't pull the plug on, on Richie's thing by saying Italy had already advanced and weren't really trying in that match. <laughs> so, yeah. No offense, Brian, but shut up. Sorry, Mark. Sorry. When's, when's that flight home again? <laughs> uh, round of applause, please, for Sinead O'Carroll, U.S. Murph. Richie Sadler and Oshin McConville. Thanks, folks. We've still got our very special live performance. We've got our live performance still to come, but it is time to wrap the recording of the 750th Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. That, very big thanks to Aer Lingus, Original Penguin Clothing, the Clarence Hotel for making it all happen. Thanks to everyone here at the Liberty Hall Theatre. 
to who made the show so easy for us to do tonight. Now that you have the annual in your hands, I'm sure you'll agree it looks great. So big shout outs to Kieran Walsh from Sweatshop, Trevor Finnegan at Revert Design, Colin McAuliath for his brilliant illustrations, Dan Layden did incredible work on the cover, Amy O'Connor's here, she wrote the brilliant Ryan Lochte piece. Most importantly, thank you guys so much for being part of the gang tonight. And ever since we started the podcast 750 shows ago, give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. But that's not all, folks. I will now hand you over to our esteemed producer, Mark Horgan. Thank you, folks. Uh, it's my honor to present the theatrical debut of Ken Early's podcast sensation, The Fair View. Now, this slot, as you can probably tell, has not been rehearsed or indeed read by some of tonight's performers. And yes, we did ask Brian Kerr to uh, take part in this, but he declined, so uh, unfortunately. Uh, uh, so we'll need your input to make this less shit. Uh, whenever you hear the words, Dear Mid Connolly, you say, Yahoo! So, Dear Mid Connolly, <laughs> whenever you hear the dubs, you say, Quick, Yup! <laughs> so, Dear Mid Connolly, <laughs> no, that's Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right, Bobby. They fucked it up. This is going to be great. Okay, welcome our cast, and of course, right now, our narrator, Ken Early. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the fair view. Comes a familiar cry. It's Biddy the charwoman looking up from her darling with a smile, beckoning me into the snug. Come on and sit yourself down and shut. She says, I peek into the snug and look around at the friendly faces. There's Randy the Yank O'Hara, a friendly, smiling man with a brain the size and weight of a hard-boiled egg. There's old Pudzer O'Toole. He usually doesn't have two tanners to rub together, but I knew he was flush from his gig, doing the voice of the carbon monoxide canary for the gas board. Maybe that's why... Next to him is parked a surprising sight, Radican the bookie, with the big fur coat and sharp eyes peering out from under the fedora hat. His shoes have a shine that had scalded the eyes of him, and his fingers dripping with jewels. Before I even have the stool pulled up, I know right well what the subject of conversation will be. The same subject as every day, the dubs, our dubs. Sit down there, says Pudzer, and help us settle a question. We know the boys are looking fair unbeatable at the moment. But if you can only pick one of them, who would it be? Well, the dubs these days is a lot of mighty men. Uh, but we all know who's the mightiest of them all, says I. And that's none other than Dermot Connolly. Everyone nodded. Now, didn't I say the same thing? Magic. Oh, he's a magic man. A big, strong man, lovely build on him. I'd say he's one of the best-made fellas I ever saw. <laughs> who's Dermot O'Connell? But dependable too, dependable, dear. There was a moment of silence. We lifted the glasses of porter and drank. A snort came from the other end of the bar. <sighs> if the man of 23 could see us talking up the likes of Conley, they'd be spinning in their graves. The speaker was the old rag and bone man, Vinnie Finucane, who lost a leg fighting the Staters in 22. He seldom speaks. But when he does, the whole place falls quiet to listen. Supporting himself on his crutch, he raised his ball of mouth to his wrinkly owl lips and took a lengthy suck. That pup Conley thinks he's a real hard job. But he does spend hours lapping about with weights till he's blown up like a doll. 
If it wasn't for all that, he couldn't pull the rind off a rasher. <laughs> Tell me, what is it he does be at all day? He's an accountant, I think, says Radigan. Or some class of pen pusher, no doubt. In my day, the dubs used to do real work. Every day down the coal yard, the donor Doolin would shovel ten tons of coal. That's how you get the real natural strength. <laughs> the donor Doolin? Budzer asked. The donor was the hero of the championship of 1923. Of course, in them days, the final was the following year. So we had the 1923 final in 1924. Biddy drops a pin from her dining and it falls on the bar with a great clatter. The dubs was up against Mayo in the final. Says Vinny. <laughs> in those days, them lads came up here thinking they had a chance. <laughs> The donor was half forward, still grubby with the coal dust from the morning shift. And the very first time he got the ball, he turned for goal. When the donor kicked the point, it stayed kicked. The ball flew over the bar, over the stand, and out the croaker altogether. We gasped with amazement. The paper the next day tracked it down. The ball flew all the way to Russell Street, and would you believe it landed in a Babby's pram? And you know which Babby it was in that pram? Only the young Brendan being himself. That's the day he got the wonky nose. True as I'm standing here. Our hungry eyes shone with gratitude as Vinnie continued to dispense the priceless lore. Well, nobody had another ball. The game was suspended. But then one of the GAA fellas had a bright idea. He was away up to Christie's Greengrocer on the Clonliffe Road. And a minute later, he was back with a fat old cabbage for a ball. So the ref threw the cabbage in to restart the game. But when the Mayo lads got their hands on the cabbage, instinct took over. They couldn't resist taking sneaky nibbles at it. Before, you know, it was just an old sprig of leaves. So the ref says, we'll need something these mayo lads won't eat before the game is over. And everyone was looking around fresh out of ideas. So that's when the donor says, right, I know just the thing. And before you know it, he's taken his pen knife and dug it into his belly and pulled out his own liver. <laughs> there you go, says he, handing over the liver to the referee. That'll do, he is to the end of the game, says he, turning pale and gasping out of him. That was the love he had for the game. And then he slumped to the ground and there wasn't another word out of him. That was in the days before substitutes, so the dubs had to go on with just the 14 fellas. At first, nobody could get a grip on the new ball, but when it dried out, the boys managed to sling it over the bar for a few more points. Well, everyone knew that even though the donor hadn't finished the game, he had given as much as anyone to the cause that day. 
They propped him up on the bar in Sligo's of Parnell Street and gave the medal to his widow. The priest told her he'd be a true blue hero for all time. The pride of the woman. She couldn't stop crying to be thinking about it. So I tell you, your Connollys and your McManamans, is there a man among you who'd slice out his own liver for the dopes? Maybe Clucko? Suggest Pudzer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Vinny flashes him a look that it stripped the face off him from the rest of us to his only cuteness. But isn't it the way with every tale? After the laughter, the cuteness. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for our cast. Circa Pollock as Biddy the Charwoman. Richie Sadlier as Pudzer O'Toole. Andy Lee as Radigan the Bookie. David O'Doherty as Vinny Fanukin. And your narrator, Ken Early. And a round of applause for O McDevitt, Kira Murphy, and the star of the show, U.S. Murphy! What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Second captain. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.